Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your faithfulness towards us. We thank you for waking us up today and giving us so many blessings. We thank you for the privilege of reading and understanding your word through the help of your Holy Spirit. So as we open your word at this time, instruct us, O oh Lord. Make your word practical to our lives. May it has a subduing, a sanctifying effect upon us. And Lord, may this word cause us to be a, a powerful influence to those around us as we leave this place. In Jesus' name, amen. The title of the uh, workshop is actually, does anyone know what it is? Seekers, right? But the actual theme is not the actual theme is, is how to be a witness or an effective witness for Christ. And um, meaning how, do, how can I be a modern day missionary in a highly secular world? Um, I don't know where you guys came from, but you obviously drove from somewhere. And uh, just, just driving from the 401 to here, you passed a lot of buildings. Every day you pass by hundreds maybe thousands of people if you take the metro. And um, most of the people that you pass by don't believe in God. Some people believe in God. They don't believe in Jesus. Some people believe in, in God and Jesus, but their belief of God and Jesus doesn't really influence their life, right? So, for example, a Catholic. There's many people that are Catholics. They go to church on Christmas and if they go to church at Christmas, but it has no impact. No, it doesn't change anything in their lives. So the question is, um, how can I be an effective um, witness? Um, and I say the word effective because I know people that are witnesses, but they're not very effective. You know, they turn people off from knowing God. How can I be an effective witness to secular individuals? whether in my school or work or gym or mall or wherever I go, how can I be that kind of witness? Stats tells us that here in Canada, it's about 85% of the people don't go to church. That's pretty high. You know, uh, I work with literature evangelism, and we realize that when we go door to door, we realize the amount of people that don't go to church. Now, we know that it's not church that will save you, but it just gives you an idea, you know, if, if I have some kind of spiritual interest, wouldn't I want to, to gather around people that have spiritual interest also, if you understand what I mean? So people, it just shows a reflection of where we are in our society, where God or things of God is really, um, is not a priority. So how can I be empowered to be an effective witness for Christ? So you can go to conferences like this. You know, this is a very inspiring conference. Some of you have gone to a conference called GYC. I think that's very inspiring. You know, you see other young people on fire for God. Or you can go to church and be inspired also. But I believe unless we understand the principles of how to be connected to the source, on a consistent basis to be an effective witness, then uh, it's kind of like 
It's kind of like a, a coal, a piece of coal that is warm. You know, when you blow on it, what happens? It kind of starts glowing, right? Because it's oxygen. But as long, you have to keep blowing on it. If you don't blow on it, whenever the, the wind stops, whenever the breath stops, then it comes back and becomes black again. It's, and these conferences are like that sometimes, where you have a, a coal, and then there's like whew, this nice thing of oxygen, and you light up, and you're so encouraged. Then you go back home, and then the, whew, the breath stops, or Sabbath finishes, or you had a good speaker. Then you go back home, and you become black again. And the truth is that if you just put the coal by itself, eventually with no ox, it, it dies. You know, it becomes cold after a while. And unfortunately, I was at the, um, I was at the first GYC that they had in uh, 2002, I think it was. And it was inspiring, it was encouraging. But there are people that went to that GYC that are not Adventist anymore, you know? So what I'm saying is um, that we need to understand certain principles beyond just going to be inspired in a conference or, um, or going to church to get our inspiration. We must learn to be effective witnesses. And there's where the title or the theme comes, to be a seeker. Um, our workshop's going to be based on two fundamental principles. Can someone... Uh, or actually, I think you could all say it. Matthew 6, 33. Can you say it with me? Seek ye first, what? The kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. So our workshop will be based on that. It's very basic, but we're going to start building from that how to be able to seek the kingdom of God, his righteousness, because God tells us that this is what should be their most priority. It says, seek ye secondly, or it says, seek ye first. First, so this is the highest priority in our lives of what we should seek for. So we're going to seek his righteousness. And so the first principle is to seek God and then to turn around and to seek others also. How to do that in a practical step-by-step -step way. Uh, I think this is very important. When I was a teenager, I, I was in my before, I guess, junior year. And... I decided to go do literature evangelism, go knock on the door and save souls for Jesus, right? So I went to do that in the U.S. And that summer, my life was changed. You know, I, I experienced amazing ex testimonies, uh, answers to prayer. Um, you know, just the fact that you get out of your shell to go and speak with people about God, trying to help them to know Him better, it's an amazing experience. And if you haven't tried it, I encourage all of you to test it. You may not be cut out for it, but you can at least try it, right, for a summer and see what your life will, God will do with you. Uh, but I came back, and the year before, I was voted to be, to be uh, president of the student, I don't know what you would call it, student body or student, student, student government, student association. So... The last year, after I did my year of canvassing, I came back, and, and it was a busy year. Of course, I had to go to school. That was part of why we were there. And then we had all kinds of things going on. We, had, um, we decided to start a, a store in the, in, the, in the school to fundraise, to get money, and, and we were doing good financially as a student body. 
we had all these clubs that we started to do, like photography club, computer club, and all kinds of activities. And of course, one of the big things that I had to work with and organize was, was um, um, dances. And uh, you had to hire DJs. And, and you know, this is just after an amazing experience with God. <laughs> and I have to come back and I have to organize all this stuff. And there's like a fight going on within me because, and that's the year I also got baptized. You know, I'm, that December I gave my life to God and I decided I'm going to follow him all the way. And, you know, as a teenager, um, there's this strong, um, what's the term, desire to be accepted, you know, to be, to be cool. Anyways, it was back then in the 90s. It's still, uh, <laughs> am I still, okay, so it was amazing how it, when I look back and I analyze um, like, I would organize the dances, hire the DJs, everything. We would sell stuff and make a lot of money, but I would not go to them because it's Friday night. I have to go back home and worship God. You know, it's the Sabbath. <laughs> but yet I organized for all these people to go and, and party. Um, I started to get more and more convicted on certain things. My friends knew that I was a Christian. I believed in God, at least. But you know, it's amazing how... I just didn't seem to have the power to be an effective witness for Christ. Meaning, give you an example. You know, because I was Mr. President, I was Mr. Cool, I had to make sure, you know, I had, I had reasons why I didn't do. Well, why don't you come Friday to the party? Oh, you guys drink. What's the point of drinking? You know, you guys look like fools when you're... Meaning I had a, a logical reason for everything, right? And... Sometimes they will say, well, come Saturday. We're going this and this. Where, what are you doing on Saturday? And do you know that I had such a hard time to tell them that I'm going to church? Um, it's interesting how you're, you're growing in Christ. You want to be able to follow God, but you just lack the power, you know, to tell them, well, well, Saturday, I have to go with my dad. We're actually going to, um, we're going to that place over there, and we're going to see some, some people. And um, well, well, didn't you do that last time? Yeah, but we do that pretty often. <laughs> and uh, okay, okay, but how about, look, why don't you put this on your calendar? Why don't you come like three weeks from now, this Saturday, we're going to have an amazing time. Well, let's talk about it when it comes a little closer. Maybe we'll, we'll be, and it's amazing how it just feels like I, I, I didn't have the power to be able just to tell him, look, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist Christian. This is what I believe. Uh, I, you know, this is how we eat. This is how we live, you know. Meaning, just to have that power to go out and share Christ with others in a powerful way, you know. I don't know if some of you can testify a little bit to um, what I went through. And when everybody else is Christian, it's much easier. There was some people at school that were Christians, so it's easier to talk with them. Even Jehovah Witness friends, I could chat with them on certain things, even on doctrines, why the Sabbath is right and how they're wrong. Power. Power to be an effective witness. The first text we're going to look at real briefly, we're going to look at a few texts as we build our case real quickly. Jeremiah chapter um, 29. The first principle this is somewhat, something you should all know by heart. Jeremiah 29, verse 13. It says, And ye shall seek me and find me when what? 
you shall search for me with all your heart. So here we find the principle of finding God. And what's the prerequisite here of finding God? Is to, do, to seek him with what? All your heart, right? And in Jeremiah chapter 9, if you flip back a little bit, verse 20, Jeremiah ch chapter 9, verse 23, this is uh, a very nice verse. It says, Thus saith the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, Neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory or boast in his riches. But if you're going to boast, if you're going to glory, the Bible says, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understands and knoweth me. So the first principle that we're going to seek is how to seek God, right? Seek God. Seek his righteousness. To find God, to discover His will, to experience His presence, I think is the greatest discovery one could ever make on the face of this world. Um, why? Because John 7, 17 tells us to know God is what? Let's turn there. Eternal life. To know God is eternal life, right? The second point is Luke chapter 19. We're building our two foundational... Um, are two foundations that we're going to build on. The first is to seek God, to seek His righteousness. The second one is Luke 19, and looking at verse 10. Jesus tells us why He came to this earth. Luke 19, 10, it says, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. So in the Bible, there is a need to seek after God, and then... Jesus says, I came to seek after those that are lost. In John chapter 20, verse 21, just the next page, it tells us, John chapter 20, that's the wrong one, but I'll just quote it. <laughs> the Bible, Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. And uh, you can search it on your computer later on. So Jesus says, I came to seek and save those that was lost. And as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. So you should go out and seek and save those that are lost after. Two principles. The first one is to seek God, seek his righteousness. The second principle is to seek the enlargement of his kingdom, or in other words, to seek others that are lost. And the two are very closely related, because if you don't seek God, you don't have power to be able to seek others, right? So let's go through some uh, biblical examples of character traits of a seeker. This workshop is just how to seek, how to seek, period. The other ones we're gonna talk about, how to practical steps on enlargement of this kingdom, meaning how can I be a witness to the secular people on a um, on a practical step-by-step -step of how ca I can influence others for Christ. And then the other one, his righteousness, how to seek his righteousness so I can be righteous. And the last one deals with the promises. All these things shall be added unto. I don't know if you've noticed, but it follows Matthew 6, 33, right? The first one is in Ezra. If you can turn there with me. First principle or character trait of a seeker. Ezra chapter 7. Ezra chapter 7, Kings, Chronicles, and then Ezra's. It 
This is a very interesting story. The book of Ezra, I believe, or my, this is my personal opinion, is the greatest, uh, let me not say greatest, but I, th I think in the book of Ezra, there's the most powerful revival and reformation in the whole Bible. Because in the book of Ezra, not only under Ezra, the temple is, is, is completed, you know, after the 70-year captivity, they go back and they finish rebuilding the temple, but something powerfully hap powerful happens with Ezra. A revival, meaning there were people, let me just rehash in 30 seconds. One of the main reasons that the people of Israel went into captivity was because they forsook God and started worshiping idols. One of the main reasons that they started worshiping idols is they started intermarrying with the heathen nations. So they start marrying with other people who have other gods. And by the way, this is a spiritual context for us even here today. And by, I don't want to retract too much, but you can be unequally yoked even if you marry a Seventh-day Adventist. Let's put it at that, that point, okay? But anyways, I'll let you follow through with that. That's one of the main reasons. So you marry heathen people that have different gods, and therefore you start worshiping different gods. And as a result, God brings you into captivity because you won't listen to him anymore. And after 70 years of captivity, the people repent, they cry to God, and God brings them back to their own country to be able to build the temple once again. And then Ezra comes, and after they build the temple, Ezra finds out that, wait, what's happening? They're starting to marry heathen people again. And so he sees this circle once again that's going to happen. And People that marry heathen people, they don't fully understand, but he fully understands because he's a scribe in the law of God. He has studied the history, and he knows what is the sure result of it, that if you marry, eventually you may not bow down, but your child definitely will, and eventually the, the knowledge of God will be forgotten, and guess what? There's another captivity, or maybe God will forsake his people completely. And so he falls on his face, and he cries, and he weeps, and he calls the people together, and an amazing revival happens. What happens is, here I am, I have a, I'm a man, maybe I have two wives, or maybe one, and I make a decision to unmarry my wife. <laughs> and that's basically what happens in the book of Ezra. It's, it's an interesting book to study a little bit later on, but the, the wives that would not submit to the God of Israel, they were unmarried. Meaning, I walk away, and why I believe it's such a powerful revival is because I don't know if there's anything more tender or more, um, more of a tender love than a man or a woman for his spouse. You understand what I mean? The only other thing would be for your children. But even in Ezra, it tells us that there were children that were involved also. So... That's why I believe it was an amazing revival because it's something that really cut straight to the heart and God's people, as one people, stood up and made a decision, no, we will follow God and if we have married wrongly, we will unmarry, whatever that means, and we will follow God completely. So this happened under Ezra. Ezra was an amazing, powerful instrument in the hand of God. But notice what it says in Ezra chapter 7, verse 10. Before all of these things happen, it says... It, it talks about how God blessed Ezra and how he brought him into uh, Jerusalem. It says, For Ezra had prepared his heart 
to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach in Israel's statutes and judgments. And so there's three main points here that we see. We see that Ezra uh, prepared his heart to seek the Lord. So he kind of, before he, he seeks, he sits down and says, okay, I'm going to seek the Lord. He thinks that. I'm going to seek the Lord, seek the law of the Lord. And, and before he starts seeking, he knows that if he seeks, he's obviously going to find something, right? So when he finds whatever he finds, before he finds it, he makes up his mind that he's going to do whatever he finds. Are you with me? So he's going to seek, I'm going to seek, and whatever I find, I'm going to do in the law of God. And before I even do, and before I even start seeking, I make up my mind, or Ezra makes up his mind, that I'm going to teach it in Israel. So all of this happens before he even starts doing it. The Bible tells us that he prepared his heart. The first trait of a seeker is heart preparation. I think this is extremely important. And I believe that's one main reason that why we lack a lot of the power, um, conversion, or you name it, um, in our lives today to be an effective witness for Christ. Heart preparation. We're such a superficial society. You know, if I was Ezra, maybe someone would say, okay, John, what are you doing? Oh, I'm doing good. Oh, so what are you doing these days? Oh, I've decided I'm going to seek the law of the Lord. Oh, is that right? Oh, yeah, I'm going to seek the law of the Lord. Oh, that's wonderful. So, um, I thought you were a scribe. Yeah, I'm a scribe. Well, don't you know the law of the Lord? Well, you know, the law of the Lord is so great and extensive. There's so many things I don't understand about it. So what if you find something in the law of the Lord that God asks you to do something that you don't really like? What are you going to do? Oh, never thought of that. Well, I guess I'll cross that bridge when I get there. But that was not Ezra. Ezra was not like that. He sat down, and he was not a fanatical saying, let me just go as the Spirit leads. And many of us believe this is what it means to be a witness, to be a very spiritual person. But on the contrary, one of the most powerful revivals in the history of God's people happened through a man that prepared his heart. Prepare your heart, I believe, focuses on two main points. The first point focuses on a plan. A plan. So he had a plan. I'm going to, before he even does whatever he's going to do, he sits down and says, and prepares his heart to seek, to do, and to teach. Okay, now I can go forward. And I believe that if you actually would sit Ezra down and you would talk to him, I believe that his plan was even more detailed than just that. The Bible gives us the outline, but how are you going to seek him? How are you going to seek the law? Well, I'm going to study such and such a book, and uh, I'm going to go it consistently and systematically, and I'm going to try to discover God's will for his people. And, and are you going to do that just five minutes a day? No, no. What I'm going to do is every morning, maybe from, from six to eight, that's what I'm going to focus on. Or maybe, you understand what I mean? Meaning, if you just did that spasmatically, is that a word? Spa sporadically? <laughs> he wouldn't have gotten very far. You understand what I mean? So he had a plan. He had a plan. And the first step, he had a plan. And I believe that if we are to seek the righteousness of God, there must also be a plan. I believe that we fail greatly because of that. If I want to have the righteousness of God, if I want to find or to seek out after God, if there is not a systematic plan on how it will be achieved, it will never be achieved. 
because Satan will make sure that other things come into your life to distract you from it. And that is why we are here still today. I believe the same holds true with seeking after others. If we are to seek and save those that are lost, if we don't have a plan, meaning what are your talents? My talents is, is hospitality. My talent is, is teaching. My talent is uh, music. Whatever it is, if you know that God has given you some kind of gift, then you must be able to institute some kind of plan on how you can use that talent. It won't just kind of happen and... I don't know if you're with me, and somebody asks you to play piano. Okay, so you play piano, but you know that music can be used in much more effective means than just playing for divine hour. I know one young lady that would go and visit people in a nursing home, and it would just sing to them. You don't understand how much this would do uh, for these people's lives, you know, and how blessed, and they were in tears just to hear her sing. And it's not like she was the best singer out there, you know. She just knew how to hold a key, and for her, that was her talent, right? A plan. Led by the Spirit, a seeker is not a fanatic or someone who simply goes as the Spirit leads. Uh, a seeker is led by the Spirit, but that Spirit will lead you to prepare your heart. Number one, to have a plan. And number two, uh, I believe heart preparation focuses also on willing submission. Someone once said, to thine own self be true. So if I seek only something, uh, to thine own self be true. Um, I'm an elder in my local church, and um, I try to encourage others to know Christ. But um, next week, let's say, I'm, I decided that I'm going to wear an earring. Not two, just one. And not a big one or fancy, you know, with jewelry or whatever, just something simple, you know, just a small earring. And... Um, because I believe it's cool. I've always wanted an earring. And number two, uh, a lot of my friends that are non-Adventists wear earrings. And I think that if I'm like them, uh, most likely I'll be able to reach them better. I don't think that God judges me because I have an earring. I believe that um, um, because it's not an expensive one. I have people that have even more expensive watches than my earring. I mean, look, that, that cost 200 bucks. This cost like five bucks. That was it. And yeah, I know there's a text in the Bible that talks about, talks about let not your hair be braided, and, but let it be meekness and quiet spirit. But that, anyways, that talks about, for, I think that's more for ladies, because it talks about women, first of all. And it's definitely not for men. And, um, and God, anyways, looks at the heart. I mean, God's going to keep me out of heaven because of an earring. I think there's people that wear earrings that will be in heaven. Don't you agree, too? Amen? Okay. So, do you have a problem with that? All right, let me go get an earring. <laughs> you have a problem? You really do? What's your problem? I know a church elder right now that wears earrings. Do you have a problem? And okay, I don't think that we would necessarily go and be in people's face and try to, you know, judge them or whatever. But I, as an elder, I am asking you. So it's not like if I'm just minding my own business. I come to you and I ask you, do you have a problem with me wearing an earring? And you tell me what? Yes. Now why? 
Okay, forget it. I re renounce my eldership. <laughs> I'll just be a regular Seventh-day Adventist member. Is that fine? It's still not fine. Now, is there a reason why it's not fine? Because cultural Adventism doesn't accept jewelry? Because there's many people within Adventism that wear earrings. So obviously it's not something that is out of common. It's what? I think... No, I think every young person should wear earrings because it will influence their friends to be nice and to let them know that we're all on the same level. Amen? <laughs> oh, what does the Bible teach? So you're going to pull out the Bible on me, right? And you're going to start giving me a Bible study because our faith should be found in the church manual. Amen? No. Our faith should be grounded where? In the Word of God. So if you have any, because I can give you all these reasons why this pastor wear, wears a Georgie Armani suit and this elder drives a BMW uh, 506X2 whatever that's worth, you know, $150,000. And, and I can give you all these examples and I can tell you why this text is for women and I can tell you how I can influence but in the end, we stand on the Word and the Word of God only, right? So you pull out your Bible, and in a meek and a quiet way, you sit down with me. I think that should be what we should do, right? So you sit down with me, and you say, okay, John, look, I'm not going to tell you what I be personally believe or my preconceived ideas or even what the church manual says. Let's just sit down and have a Bible study because the Word of God is what really changes our hearts and teaches us is for instruction, for reproof, for whatever. So you sit me down and we have a nice Bible study. Wonderful. Uh, do you know what kind of text you would show me? By the way, this is a little commercial, but um, another reason why we're not effective witnesses is because we're not prepared. It all goes back to heart preparation. Meaning, what if, what if one day you would actually meet somebody on the bus that asks you um, why you don't wear jewelry? Well, that never happens. That's why I don't prepare myself. <laughs> but if you would prepare yourself, maybe God would actually give you an opportunity. You know, my wife and I, we had started, we need to go back. We had started going through our fundamental doctrines to be able to memorize certain texts so that if somebody asks us, we would be able to share, you know, without trying to stick a paper out somewhere, you know, or, or trying to mark my Bible and then, whoops, I left my Bible at home and so I, I have no idea. Meaning you should be able to know at least five or six Bible texts on the Sabbath, five or six on jewelry, five or, so you can actually give a reason for your faith. Because you know what? It's only when you're able to teach that you truly know something. Are you with me? Commercial ended. Preparation. So you're going to sit me down. Give me some examples of Bible texts real quick. 
Which one? Give me that one. So the focus should be on what? On the inward, the meekness, the quiet. Okay, very good. What, just another text. What does it focus on? Very good. Any last one? The thing with jewelry, friends, is that to be able to bring a strong case, you must know more than one or two texts. Because the one, it has a lot to do with the spirit and the tone of the Word of God also. You know? Because if I talk about, for example, the braiding of hair and whatever, I can just argue that it's just emphasis. You know, I should just emphasize on what he's meek and so. I just should de-emphasize. I don't know if you're with me. Um, but... It, that's why it is so important to be able to be prepared, right? Um, for example, I had another text that was brought to me. Uh, we believe that the, the breath and the, the dirt makes up what? The soul, right? And uh, the soul, when, or the person, when it dies, uh, the dirt goes back to the dirt and the breath goes back to who? To God. But, you know, one day I was reading... Um, in the Bible when it was the, I forget it was, if it was the Shunammite's son or if it was the, the woman who um, in Zarepta who uh, housed Elijah and her son died. In both cases, they, you know, it was the, the son was resurrected. But the Bible says you know, that the soul came back into him. You know, so that kind of threw me off. I said, whoa, wait a second. <laughs> you know, what do you mean the soul came back into him? I thought he was the living soul. And so that led me to go back and to study the word of God. So I think it's not only important to be able to know uh, what we believe, but also know some of the discrepancies. I wouldn't call them discrepancy, but some apparent discrepancies in the word of God that may cause others to go astray, right? So let's go back. The first trait of character that... Uh, we focus is heart preparation. Heart preparation has a lot to do with two things. Can you tell me what those two things are? Planning. Planning. Meaning have a plan and obviously preparation, knowing what you believe, knowing to be able to share with others. What's another one? Willing submission, right? So let me just finish my example. So I, I wear jewelry or I'm going to go and, and, and put an earring on and you have a problem with that. So you sit me down. We have a Bible study. We and then you show me from a few texts that, according to your understanding, we should not wear jewelry. So I said, okay, fine, fine, I can hear that, but I, I don't believe. So I'm going to go back home, and I'm going to study the Word of God. And why am I going to study this time? I'm going to study to disprove you. 
you know, because I want to wear jewelry. And I think there's no problem with wearing jewelry. And so I go back and I study to be able to find reasons why your texts are not valid and why there are texts in the Word of God or people in the Word of God, like um, the prodigal son or whatever, that actually wore jewelry and nothing was said about it, and therefore I'm going to stand on these. But there's a problem there. Willing submission. Ezra prepared his heart to seek, to do, and to teach. Meaning, there was a preparation of heart that must happen first before he even started to seek. Because the problem comes that when you seek without a preparation of heart, number one, many times you don't find. In John 7, 17, it says, if any man will do his will, he will know of the doctrine. Meaning, if you really want to know God's will, you need to be willing, right? And God reveals his will to those that are willing to follow. If you're not even interested in following what he wants you to do, then why should he reveal himself to you? But sometimes, God, in his mercy, still reveals himself to you. But there's a problem, because you have not prepared your heart, I have not prepared my heart, and therefore, I seek, he reveals, and I don't follow, right? So when I go back to the Word of God, I need to go to the Word of God first with a heart that is prepared. When the heart is prepared, then I'm ready to seek. Then, by God's grace, I will do, and thereafterwards, I'll be able to teach. Um, it's easy to see it with jewelry, right? But do you know that uh, this can be the same with the Sabbath, for example? Let's say you meet somebody that uh, doesn't believe in the Sabbath, and they believe Sunday is the right day. Now, you're not too knowledgeable about the Word of God, so you go back and you study to disprove this guy and show that person that the Sabbath is the seventh day, and if they don't go, they're going to hell because it's the mark of the beast. And blah, blah. Is that the right spirit? Is that the right preparation of heart? Right? And do you know that you may find proof text for the Sabbath, but I personally believe that you still don't fully understand the Sabbath if that's what you're um, going to do. It goes for everything. If I'm seeking God's will on a uh, person I need to marry, on diet, on music, on ministry, Lord, what do you want me to do? Oh, John, I want you to go and become a literature evangelist. Oh, no. <laughs> Please, Lord, anything but that. <laughs> don't let me go knock on doors. Let me go anywhere. And some of us don't really seek fully with our whole heart, just afraid that just maybe God's going to make me or tell me do something that I don't want to do or to give up this. I can't give up my chicken. I mean, I love chicken. I can't. And and I'll be honest with you, I have no problem, and, and please, this is recorded, but <laughs> I hear me out before you throw your tomatoes. I have no problem with a seven-day, per se, with a seven-day Adventist wearing jewelry. I have no problem with a seven-day Adventist eating meat. My problem is with the Seventh-day Adventist that has heard or has heard something about. And for five years, for 10 years, for 20 years, they have never gone back and studied with the heart that is prepared. That is my main problem. You know that we will never be lost for how, because of how 
bad or evil we are, you're not going to be lost for how bad you were. If you want to look at bad people, look at the king Manasseh. The guy killed people, I mean, killed his own children through fire. The guy will be saved. We're never going to be lost because of how bad we are. We will be lost for rejecting the truth that was revealed to us. We will also be lost for not, how can I say, for rejecting the truth we could have known because we had the opportunity to know. Now, that is deep. Meaning, you walk into your home and you have little books in there about God and books by Ellen White and things like that. You have the Bible. And so you have access to certain truth. And you know that you and I will be judged, not just because of, oh, I didn't know. Well, guess what? You had access. So instead of taking that book, you turn on and watch Seinfeld. Day after day after day. And so what happens is you'll be judged, and you can't say, well, I didn't know. It says, yes, you didn't know, but you had the opportunity to know. You knew that you should at least seek, and you didn't. Same thing. So that's the reason why when I see a person wearing jewelry, I don't just judge them right away and say, oh, I can't believe what's this church going to. I, I am sad in my heart because the outward appearance sometimes is a litmus test of what is actually on the inside. But my main issue is, have you searched? You know, have you sought? Have you gone out and studied with your heart to find out? So the issue is not jewelry. The issue is heart preparation. Seeking God with our whole heart. Okay, let's review. First point, um, seekers. What are the two main things that God asks us to seek above everything else? His righteousness is one, and the enlargement of his kingdom. This should be our first and foremost. We focus, we're focusing on how to be a seeker, because if we can really learn how to seek his kingdom or the enlargement of his kingdom and how to really seek his righteousness, we're told that all these things shall be added unto us. I think that at that point, we will truly fulfill God's purpose for us in our generation. The first character trait that we looked at of being a seeker was what? Was what? Heart preparation. Heart preparation involves two things, at least two things. What are those two things? Planning and willing submission. The other one is found in Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. Basic principles, but... These are principles I believe that if we truly take them to heart, will bring about an amazing change in our lives. Luke chapter 4, verse 27. The Bible says, this is Jesus talking to the, the Pharisees. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Eli, it's actually Elisius, which is Elijah the prophet. And none of them was cleansed saving who? Naaman, the Syrians. Now, were the Jews happy to hear that? Verse 28 says, and, and all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with what? They were upset. So it's kind of like, like if I tell you today, uh, you know, there were many people last year in the Adventist church that had cancer. There was quite a lot of people that had cancer in the church, but, you know, there's only one of them that was healed last year. 
And it wasn't a Seventh-day Adventist was healed from cancer. It was a Buddhist. It's a Buddhist that read a book called Councils on Diets and Food and started reading a lot about our health message and actually decided, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow everything that I, I read and I study about this health message. And that Buddhist was healed. You know, it's, 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 it's like, and when we hear that, you know, it's a little bit of Adventism pride that says, you know, what do you mean, a Buddhist? Yeah, it's a Buddhist that was healed. All these people within the Adventist church that had cancer, you know what happened to them? They died. <laughs> so these Jews were upset when they said that. Um, made them angry. In, um, in 2 Kings chapter 5, we're not going to go through all the story, but you know the story of Naaman and how he was a great man in his army. It says in verse 1, 2 Kings 5, 1, Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper, right? So he was pretty much uh, one of the top nations of the world, and he was second in command. And in verse um, 2, it speaks of how they brought back a little maid from raiding the, the land of Israel. Verse 3, um, the maid said on her mistress, Would God, my Lord, were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. And then it was told to, Laman, uh, to Naaman, and Naaman told the king, Look, I want to go and see this prophet. So it's kind of like, um, I'll give you an example. It's like, it's like Obama. Obama, well, it wasn't the king. It was like Hillary Clinton, let's say. Hillary Clinton or Obama going to the son of Ben Laden for healing, you know? <laughs> it's just like utmost humiliation, you know? I mean, aren't there physicians galore in the United States? I mean, aren't there the top technology in the top hospitals? Why would you go out to, where did you find him again? Pakistan, I think. Why would you go there to his son, you know, who's a nobody, and try to get healing from there? And this, the second character trait I want to focus on for seekers is humility. It, it, it's, I believe it's one of the greatest things that is lacking in our church today. Um, the first point in humility is that it was a slave. And by the way, no offense, but in those days, a lady was not, it's like, like, was not equal with a guy. A guy was like above. And so, number one, it's a woman. Number two, it's a kid. And number three, it's a slave, you know? And this slave tells Obama that, look, you need to go and go to Oba uh, Ben Laden's son. He's not quite a doctor, but he's like, he believes in uh, Allah or whatever, and he'll be able to heal you. Number three, uh, three, four, whatever number we're at. <laughs> Their nation had conquered Israel. So it's not like if Israel was above us, we're above Israel, we conquered them, their gods was not strong enough to keep them from our gods, so why would I humble myself and go to a nation whose god we conquered? When he gets to the prophet's home, um, the prophet doesn't come out. He sends a servant. And uh, that is another humbling factor. Another humbling factor, the servant tells you, you need to go and wash. You know, it would have sounded better if he said, you need to go and dip. <laughs> or you need to go and swim. But he says, you need to go and wash. What does that insinuate? 
<laughs> I mean, talk about humility. I mean, humbling experience. And then after, and the Jordan was not necessarily the cleanest river out there. You know, he, Naaman speaks about two other rivers that were much nicer, much cleaner, much be- you know, more, more beautiful. But he says, look. And so talk about humility. So Naaman, you know, he humbled himself to take it from a woman. He humbled himself that it was a girl. He humbled himself it was a slave. He humbled himself he went to a nation that their gods conquered. He humbled himself and says, okay, I'll take instruction from a servant, but wash? Am I dirty? And two, the Jordan is filthy. And he said, you know, that's enough. I, I, I can't take And he was upset. And he was going home. But you know, it's amazing how the soldiers that were with him came to him and says, look, if he had asked you to kill people or do something, would you have done? He says, yes. So look, he's just asking you to do something simple. Won't you do it? Humility, friends. He said, all right, I'll do it. You know, humility, be able to accept reproof. And I want to tell you one thing, is that in every single one of those steps, if Naaman had stopped, he would not have been healed. The same thing with dipping in the river. If he had dipped five times or six times, what's the point? What? I'm so stupid. Why did I listen to this guy? And he gets out of, I mean, it's foolish. What do you mean a water will? And it's, I'm going home. He would have died a leper. And do you know that only the humble seekers I know it's, it's such a simple phrase, but in my life, I've been so often led to, you know, things that I try to reason, try to just justify my, my right just as a human being, you know? I'm not even asking to be put on a pedestal. I'm just asking you, treat me like a human being. And that's why literature evangelism is, is good for you. <laughs> because when you knock on doors, you have people that treat you like dog. And it helps you to realize, you know, my worth is found in Christ. And if God asks me to do anything, humble yourself. In Ellen White, uh, in the book Christian Service, it tells us that we should never ask God to humble ourselves. You know that? You know, there's a song that says, Humble me, humble me, O Lord. I, never, I stopped singing that song, by the way, because, <laughs> because Christian service says, don't, it says, all heaven is interested in this work that God's messengers are carrying forward in the world in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. This is a great work, brethren and sisters, and we should humble ourselves daily before God and not feel that our wisdom is perfect. We should take hold of the work with earnestness. We should not pray for God to humble us. Why? For when God takes hold of us, he will humble us in a way that we would not enjoy. I mean, that's so obvious. We should not pray for God to humble us. For when God takes hold of us, he will humble us in a way that we would not enjoy. So if our problem is pride, and we ask God to humble us, the only way that he can humble us is to strike at our pride. And there's something interesting with pride, is that when you prick pride, it 
it, you, <laughs> it becomes tougher. That's just the way it is, you know? Meaning if I touch your pride, you become even more resistant. So what needs to happen? You and I just need to humble ourselves. Now, if we need to ask God for anything, we just need to ask God for wisdom and strength to humble ourselves. But the decision comes from us. But we must day by day humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. We are, work, we are to work out our own salvation with fear and with trembling, while it is God that works in us to will and to do of his own good pleasure. We are to cooperate with him while he works through us. Uh, Christian Service 246. So, uh, humility. Naaman humbled himself to the point where at any point he could have broken. He did break at one point, but even then the soldiers went and they said, look, please. And they called him father, you know, just to soften. That's another point. That if they had told him, you know, we came all the way here with you. I mean, why don't you just listen to what he's... He, he would have gone home. But they understood that pride, when it is pricked, only becomes more resistant. So they came to him and says, look, Father, you know, instead of saying, Master, well, just Father, please, if he had asked you to do something, and because uh, they th knew that maybe this is his only chance that he has. Only humble seekers find him. You know, one of the stories that I just don't seem to understand that just amazes me is how Christ was able to come uh, and nobody knew. You know, and I, I try to imagine, uh, I read that chapter in Desire of Ages over and over again, and I try to imagine if I was living in that day and I lived in Bethlehem or Jerusalem, would I know that Christ had come? You know, and it's only some shepherds. And the only reason that they knew is because they were talking about the Messiah and their hearts were open for it at that point. They were willing, they were submissive, they were humble. And so the angels were just, they had to tell somebody. And so they went to the church headquarters and then they went to the pastors and they, and they just couldn't tell anybody. And so they found these little shepherds and we've got to tell them. And so you can just imagine the song that breaks forth from their hearts that says, we need to tell somebody that Jesus is there. The Jews, I can guarantee you, in those days looked for the Messiah earnestly. You know, they really wanted the Messiah to come to break the yoke of oppression. But he came right under their nose and he left. And they are still looking for him today. Humility, friends. Humility. Only the humble seekers find him. The last point in just two minutes is found in Luke chapter 11, real quick. Luke 11. Verse 5 says, Which of you shall have a friend and shall go to him at midnight and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves. Luke 11, verse 5. Verse 6, For a friend of mine in his journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and says, Trouble me not, the door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, Though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity he will rise and give him as many as he needs. What does the word importunity mean? Persistence. I like the definition in a couple dictionaries I found. It says persistence to the point of annoyance. 
persistence to the point of being annoying. The third trait of character of a seeker is persistent. Um, you guys probably heard the story of a young man that came to Socrates and asked you know, for wisdom. And he brought him to a little pool, and he dumped his head under the pool, and he held his head under. And the man was kind of bef bef baffled. But so, I'm just stick with simple terms here. <laughs> just upset. <laughs> and he held him there for a minute, a minute and a half, and, and he's struggling and fighting, trying to get up, and then he keeps holding his head down. And after a while, the, the young man starts realizing, this guy's going to kill me. And after maybe two minutes or two minutes and a half, he, he stops struggling and because uh, Socrates is holding his head down. And just when he kind of gives up and he's kind of phasing out, then Socrates pulls him out. And Socrates and the young man's spitting out water, blood, whatever. He's cussing. And, and he's about to hit the, the man, the wise man. He says, why are you trying to kill me? And then Socrates tells him, he says, listen, when you will seek for wisdom as earnestly as you sought for that breath of air, then you will find it. And the young man, you know, it just hits him. And there's a good point, you know, in Proverbs speaks of Ecclesiastes 2, talks about seeking for wisdom like a pearl, you know, seeking for, but we're talking about seeking has a lot to do with, with persistence. Uh, so this young, this man comes to the, um, to the guy's door, it's midnight, and he knocks. And uh, at first, nobody answers because they're sleeping. He keeps knocking, 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 knocking. Finally, the man kind of wakes up, and he opens a window, and he says, what? And he says, you know, I, look, I got friends that came. I need, I need three loaves of bread, because I need, how many loaves? He said three, because I, I need to give them. Listen, we're sleeping, it's midnight. Go back to bed, close the bed. Persistence is, uh, Importunity is persistence to the point of what? <laughs> the guy opens, what? I said, look, I'm really sorry, but I, I really need bread. I mean, these guys came, they have trouble, they, they don't have food, they're really hungry. Please give me some bread. Look, listen, we're, we're, can't they ju just go to bed? It's not, my children are sleeping, you're going to wake my whole house up. I need, a, I need to wake up early tomorrow. Just, just go away. He's a good literature evangelist, amen? <laughs> I'm going to call the police. Will you stop it? <laughs> and the guy is upset. But do you know that the guy gets his loaves of bread? I don't know if they're thrown at him. <laughs> Hits him square in the face or what? But he gets his bread and he walks away. And Jesus says, listen, he's not going to get the loaves of bread because the guy in the house is his friend. And that has a powerful spiritual implication. We believe that Jesus, God, is our Father. Therefore, he loves us. Therefore, I just need to ask once. And if God doesn't answer or whatever, it probably means it's not his will, or uh, maybe he doesn't love me, or I don't know what we think. But he persists, and he persists, and he persists, and he persists. It's getting annoying. But Jesus says he's not going to get his bread because of his relationship, because the guy in there is his friend, his family member. He's going to get it because he persists, because of his importunity. In 
Christ Object Lessons 145 says, God does not say ask once and you shall receive. He bids us ask, unwearingly persist in prayer. The persistent asking brings the petitioner into a more earnest attitude and gives him an increased desire to receive the things for which he asks. Friends, there is something that needs to happen in us. That's why there is a necessity to persist. It's not that God cannot give it to us. Imagine if I just went, Lord, I really need uh, money for my school. Bing, there's money somewhere. Hey, here's a check for you. Oh, praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Uh, Lord, I really need, um, I, need, I need a wife. I mean, I need a wife. I'm really lonely. I need, I need someone. Next Sabbath, na, 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 na. a beautiful woman walks in. Hey, what's your name? Oh, I've always been looking for someone to get married with. Well, why don't we get married? Okay. <laughs> All right, next, next Sunday, let's do it. And so we get married. Lord, I... do you know that if God did that, God would become a lucky, lucky charm? God is not looking to answer a prayer above a relationship with us. I don't know if you understand that. So that's why I believe is most of the times God does not answer our prayers directly because the persistent asking needs to develop something in us for him. Uh, let's just rehash. We want to be a modern-day missionary uh, we're going to deal with practical steps another time or later. So I need to be a seeker. What are the two main things that God tells us I must seek for? His righteousness, meaning seek God, and His righteousness, and what? His kingdom, the enlargement of His kingdom, how to save others. These are the two main things that should be the priority in my life. Everything else, the person I should marry, the school I should go to, what I should study, everything else needs to fall under those two priorities. What are the first trait of character that we discovered about a seeker? What? That all falls under what category? Preparation of heart. Preparation of heart has two subcategories. What was that? Well, it has more, I'm sure, but planning. We must have a plan and? Willing submission. What's another trait of character we covered? Humility. Only the humble find. And the third point? Persistence. Importunity. Persistence to the point of annoyance. Friends, if you see God's kingdom and his righteousness with those traits of character, I believe the world will be turned upside down. At least your world will, right? And then uh, from then on, we'll see what happens. Let us pray. Father in heaven, teach us to be seekers. Teach us to be seekers. So many people within your church have stopped seeking. And those who stop seeking stop growing. Father, we are in a latest condition. We're not hot, we're not cold, because we have stopped to seek after you. I ask, Father, that you may help us by the power of your Holy Spirit to develop these traits of character. As we prepare our hearts to seek your kingdom, as we prepare our hearts to seek your righteousness, empower us, O oh Lord, Teach us how to be seekers. And Father, please fulfill your part of the promise 
have told us that if we seek, we shall find. We pray this in the name of Jesus. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.